0: This is The Danger Close Podcast, Beyond the Books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to The Danger Close Podcast, an Iron Cloud original presented by 6 Hour. My guest today is my dear friend, Mark Owen. And even if you've read the books No Easy Day and No Hero or watched the 60 minutes interviews, there are things we talk about on this podcast that you've not heard anywhere else. This is part three in a four-part series titled, The Head of the Snake, Killing Osama Bin Laden. And this is part three, where we discuss the raid to capture or kill the most wanted man in the world. 2009 rolls around, and is 2009 Captain Phillips?
1: I believe so, I'm horrible with
0: dates. And uh, I think I'm in the Philippines at this time, I was really bummed I wasn't going to Afghanistan, but uh, actually I learned a ton on that Philippine deployment, just studying counterinsurgency, working with a a Filipino Marine general who'd been fighting the insurgency in the Southern Island chain for his whole life. Uh, So I I got to learn a lot on that deployment, but uh, it was on during that time where you spin up, for captain Phillips. And, uh, were you tracking that ahead of time? Like how long were you tracking that before you got the, Hey, load up and go?
1: Um, it'd been on the news, been in the press. I remember it all happening. Um, I remember thinking, okay, this is interesting, right? We're on a, we're on a set recall timeline, right? When you're on standby, something happens, you know, within a, within a very short window, you're supposed to be ready to go. And I remember, I think it took like Three and a half days for the decision makers in DC okay. to decide, yes, launch, launch the team to at least get close to what's going on. Okay. Right? It was don't take offensive action, take no shots. But three days into this, the, the decision makers in DC decided, hey, maybe we should forward stage an assault force. Yeah. So that's when we got recalled, popped to flight.
0: Okay. So uh, yeah, forward stage. Just in case they want to, you're staged and ready right. to execute. Right. Essentially. So uh, so you get to do what that command, what they envision that command would do. Um, and very you know in the 80s, uh, you get to go knock knock one of those out. And uh, yeah, it
1: was cool. Certainly my my first you know quick spin up. We'd, we'd done the normal deployments and all the ops there. This was different, right? This was maritime, right? We're SEALs, but hadn't done a lot of maritime. I remember one of the things from the Marcinko book. It's, yeah, I
0: think he said, if seals have water in their canteens, they're operating in a maritime <laughs> environment. And so I always kept that. I always I remember that all these years later, 30 years later. You I never carried that. a canteen. I know, I know, exactly. It, was, it <laughs> dates you, you know, all when right. you say a canteen, it totally dates it. But, uh, but yeah, you get to go do a maritime up, time up.
1: Yeah, yep, yeah, super cool, right? Uh, hostage rescue, right? That was the first one of those that, that we had done, I think, um, you know, that makes you feel good when you rescue somebody rather than just sh- shoot a whole bunch of people um, so yeah it was cool flew over 19 hours um, something like that right all the all the comms we were getting was negotiate negotiate don't take any offensive action but um, 19 some hours later right open the ramp up everybody jumps out um, they sent a team over to the the Bainbridge. bridge uh, I was not part of that team. Um, Sun went down and they had the opportunity to take their shots. So they took their shots, um, right? There was some, some amazing officer that we had who's still in serving to this day. I won't bring up his name, but, you know, in essence, what I remember him saying was, hey, guys, if, you know, smoke them if you got them type thing. Nice. And if the opportunity came up for the guys to, to yeah. eliminate the situation, then, then they should be ready to make those decisions. Got it. And although everything we've been hearing was, hey, don't do anything, which is that's not good guidance, right? Yeah. Go over there, but don't do anything. Well, that's that's not really putting your asset in play if you're just telling them to go sit there. So ultimately the guys had the opportunity and and they took the shots, right? Don't uh, don't believe the movie. There was more than three shots, right? Go to the go to the SEAL Museum yep, in Florida. I was gonna say where, that. Where the life draft is on display, uh, there's you, more than you can three count bullet holes. holes, Yeah. Um, it's pretty
0: cool. Yeah. 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 I was shocked at that. That it's in there you know because it just seems like one of those things and there's another thing in there also there's a another cool model uh on display right next to that uh that's that's pretty cool that that museum have you been down there
1: yes yeah it's, i actually went really cool. Uh, i went to see the model okay um
0: yeah it's a really cool museum they did a great job with that
1: yeah and, and it's grown a lot right yeah. the fort what, fort pierce florida right um now it's, it's really well done. I, oh, I was so impressed well with it. It's world class. The, uh, from the Captain Phillips life raft to uh, when I did my 60 Minutes interview, um, they had done a mock-up of mm-hmm. the compound. And so when we got done with that, they were just going to throw it away. I was like, hey, I, I know a museum who may, may want this if you could make some calls. So they ended up dropping that off down there
0: yeah it's right there you know front and center it's so cool to go to go see that it's worth the trip to well all of it everything the whole all the history how it walks you through that uh from the you know the earliest of days all the way up to to your you know the uh, to today
1: it's it's worth going to see yeah, it's yeah. kind of off
0: the beaten path a little bit but it is. it's, it's, it's worth it. seeing for sure it's a little, little bit difficult to get there but super and, and for kids too like for kids to go to that museum and be exposed to that i remember in third grade we went to the Smithsonian and I got to see the they had a plane hanging from the ceiling, a Corsair, the same plane that my grandfather flew in World War Two uh, and he was killed off Okinawa in nineteen forty five. But uh, but his plane was ha- is hanging there in the museum wow. and I don't know if it's still there you know or not, but uh, the Corsair it was I uh, was hanging right there. But I remember that's eight years old and I distinctly remember that to this day. Uh, so I can only imagine like some a kid who's interested in the SEAL teams like we were, uh, and then having, you know, your parent take you at a you know, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, junior high. Yeah. And and walk through that museum, like that—that'd be pretty impactful.
1: Then you see the Captain yeah. Phillips life raft. You're like, "All oh, these Navy SEALs are great shots. Three heat-seeking bullets. <laughs> That's right. Like, nope, it's riddled with bullets. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
0: got the job done. Hey, got the job I mean? done. Got the job done. And uh, yes, yeah, so you guys did that. And when those guys were on the show, you were standing by on another ship at that at yep, that point.
1: Yep. It was uh, right. We jumped in. Almost a hundred assaulters. Um, did you that, jump somebody in on that one? Did you have somebody strapped yep, to you for that yep, one? I jumped in a, uh, a passenger, mm-hmm. uh, non-sealed, not free-fall qualified, either intel or comms. So strapped to the front of you, What did out. that person think? Was It It was their first jump ever. So that it, is they'd awesome. They never jumped before. I remember, right? Flight over, you give them the whole brief. All right, here's what we're going to do. You know, We're going to get to the edge of the ramp. Everybody's going to go. Tandems are at the back. Um, I'm going to tap you on the shoulder. Once I tap you, you got to hang on the front. And, and his weight hanging on the front of me will pull us out and we'll exit. Um, everybody goes, we're up at the ramp. I tap him, nothing happens. Tap him again, nothing happens. So I gave him a little nudge and away we went. Yeah, you're going. Um, That's yeah, awesome. A whole, whole bunch of shoots in the air. The, the reason we jumped in so many people was, right, the, the, the pirates were trying to make sure with their captive. Mm. And had they made sure, right, it. training camps, lots more bad guys on shore. Had we had to action that target yeah. as a hostage rescue once they made landfall, it would have been a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Right, much more on our on our terms, uh, keeping them on the life raft, letting the sun go down, and letting the technology, the night vision and lasers yeah. really play out because that's how we. Interesting. They, they had no idea we had multiple infrared lasers on their little foreheads, and you know at some point the third guy sticks his head up to get some fresh air, middle of the night, pitch black. They have no idea that we have really fancy night vision and the laser that, you know, wherever the laser hits is where your bullet hits and there's multiple lasers on each head and shots go down.
0: That is amazing. Then didn't, uh, did some political leaders then, did they they morph it a little bit and say that uh, that, uh, like it came down from high, give the order, like, well.
1: Political leaders morphed it a little bit? (laughs) What
0: are you trying to say here? Yeah. Is it like, uh, did they? Yeah, yeah. of course. Of course.
1: Go pull up any of the press, right? The the president, oh, we're hard on terror. If you do this, we're going to do this. You know, I authorized the assault force at least a minimum of this many times to go do that. It's all political sound bites for the
0: media. That's one of those ones where if it did not go well, they would certainly not be making those same statements. No, nope. like, who zero are these Cowboys? To
1: zero, we've all would have been fired, have uh-huh. been it would have been our fault right again. Yep. It's it's our lives we risk, right? You miss the shot, it's it's your reputation, you're everything, but the leadership they don't they don't have that same level of liabilities. Yeah. I wonder. did it?
0: uh were they mad at first? Was anybody pissed off at first and then it changed after it became i uh, I'm
1: sure there could have been, I, I'm assuming yeah. here, right? The, oh, yeah. they didn't do, okay, well, oh, wait a I'm, I'm going to look good anyway. Yeah, so. well, the public
0: really likes this.
1: Uh, yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll take credit. advantage so, of this. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's what politicians do, right? They yeah. take advantage of all good things and pass all negative things to that's somebody else. <laughs>
0: goes. Yeah, don't let it be a surprise. Uh, it's it's not, uh, not normal. So you that's come back from that one, and is there are there two more deployments, or how many do you have before you uh, get the- the word on Bin Laden. Uh,
1: I think we had two more deployments, Afghanistan deployments. Um, came back from our last Afghanistan deployment, which was already slowing down. The political piece was already you know, right. Everything in Afghanistan was slowly feeling different and changing, mm. and um, the writing was on the wall that that was not going to play out in a healthy way. Yeah. Um, we got back from that deployment. Uh, might have had a five, six days off or something, and then right, we all head to the four winds, different schools, whatever. And uh, that's when they called 24 of us back and said, hey, read us in on the whole UBL mission.
0: Yeah. And before that, like after Captain Phillips and those next two deployments, were you starting to think about getting out or are you still thinking hey i'm i'm gonna stay in i'm gonna go you know hey i'm gonna have to go to green team cadre at some point i'll have to maybe do a staff job somewhere and then uh maybe come back as a you know whatever and then i'm staying in for for 20 25 are you are you are you You thinking that you gotta think
1: through all those things right and i when i joined the teams it was i was gonna join the teams do 20 years or or die trying right Mm -hmm. like that was my goal i had no other no other thoughts or ambitions early on well do enough deployments, gain enough perspective, move up the food chain enough, have your life risked by some idiots too many times. And, and yeah, you have to think through what what are my options. So oh. yeah, um, could have stayed in. I had been operational at this point my entire career.
0: But like, let's say 2010, before any word of UBL comes down, um, are you already, are you thinking, uh, I've been in for this amount of time, I'm gonna have to do some sort of a non-operational job yep. at some point, I'm gonna think in a, about exploring other options, were you, yep. were you thinking about yep. zone? that? Was all
1: in the cards, right? I knew my team leader time was coming to an end. You finish your team leader time, you got to go be an instructor, green team, or a desk job somewhere, mm-hmm. ops type position. Then you can move back. Um, so yeah, I'd weighed all those options. I uh, again, I I liked the fact that I never had a desk job. My longest break was green team, which is not a break, no. but. I joined to do what I was doing, which was go overseas and do my thing. Yeah. Um, so I knew when my team leader time was up, that was gonna start changing, right? I knew when you came back and you were operational again, post team leader, further up the food chain, mm-hmm. you're, you're more in the back, you're not going in the buildings anymore, right? You got three radios rather than two and I'm, I'm talking to the aircraft, I'm not yeah. being the point man creeping in the door. Right. So I knew the job description would change I knew this other job description was something I had avoided my whole career. Uh, I knew I could see the the politics of it in Afghanistan. I, I knew that was getting kind of ugly.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So it was kind of keeping my options open, be like, okay. I, I knew uh, my enlistment. I wasn't able to get out for another about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So I had I had some time to make that decision. Yeah. So I came home from that deployment, and within three weeks is when we were spending up for the for the Bin Laden.
0: And you're you're at home and then like as you talk about in, in the book in No Easy Day, you talk about the mulch guy showing up and, and uh saying, Hey, some of your leadership is up in, in DC. <laughs> like like that part's just crazy that shows how, you know, Virginia Beach and you know, Northern Virginia and Coronado, how a, you can infer. It's a very small community, yeah. right?
1: And there's not a lot of people doing these types of things. And so when when people come off their normal rotation and then then people notice and we had just gotten home from deployment, I hadn't noticed anything. I'm trying Mm -hmm. to like decompress from being in Afghanistan for months Mm -hmm. and uh, I remember my mulch guy shows up to do mulch and he'd been doing mulch on my my commanding officer's house. He's like, oh yeah, I I know him. He's up in DC right now. Like, oh, okay, great. Who cares? We're all off in a million different directions. Yeah. I'm going to a car-stealing school next week, whatever. So and uh, he's like, yeah, something, something really big going on up there. I'm like, interesting that my mulch guy is telling me there's something big going on. He, he had clearly picked this up through doing the mulch for my commanding officer at the time, who, you know, unbeknownst to me, was was getting involved in the planning already at this point. And uh, so he'd been up in D.C. planning for something big. yeah. So yeah. A week later, we get the call, hey, come sit down. That's when we were then read in of what this big thing was.
0: Yeah, but you guys, like, you don't have to be a foreign intelligence service to, to figure out when patterns change, especially, you know, it would have been harder right at the beginning of the war, I think, 2001, 2002, 2003. But by 2011, uh, you know, cycles for deployments, whether it's six months or three months or four months or whatever, like there are patterns and you don't have to be a foreign intelligence service to figure that out. Phones going on and phones going on. Virginia off, Beach like. is a small
1: town, right? There's only so many guys that only go to the same handful of bars.
0: Mm-hmm. And when all of
1: a sudden all the guys are not there and they're there Monday, Wednesday, Friday to close it down,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so people are gonna notice. And and I think that's that is part of the reason that our squadron was chosen, because we were off cycle. Yeah. Right. The, the normally, the standby squadron would have gone and done that, but pulling a standby squadron leaves a bigger signature, I mean. so we just got home from the deployment yep. We're, our whole squadron split to all over the country, going to different schools it 's very easy to just pull a handful of guys back, move them outside the compound, and have them train up for something special yep. they did it.
0: and i 'm getting ready to go to Iraq at this point uh, for my last last appointment and uh, You're we're talking, you're home, you know, fine. And and then uh when you guys get the call, like you think that it's gonna be some sort of a training thing or some sort of a, you know, spin up for something and you go in even to the command and I I think they're like, uh we're going to North Carolina to do a training
1: thing, uh pack your stuff. Yeah. It was all all smoke and mirrors, it was odd, it was off, nothing Uh was real. They were giving us just bits and pieces until we actually got down to North Carolina. and they One guy made the right call though, right? Yeah, yeah. One guy he guessed. guessed. It. He guessed it because he's like, are we going to need sleeping bags, right? Like, how does that break things out? Well, okay, are we living on a base where there's infrastructure or are we fending for ourselves to whatever? And when they said, no, don't bring, you know, sleeping type stuff, there'll be infrastructure there okay, we're going somewhere where there's already an existing base. And then he started putting two and two together. Mm,
0: eliciting information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, then you go down there and you get there. Uh, you have something else you have to take care of. So you get down there one day after yep. everybody else and uh, drive in and see two of the guys. And yeah. They let you know. As soon as
1: I got there, gave us the lowdown. I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> All right. This is it. Um, and wow. then just went to work because I was a day behind already. Guys had already started coming up with plans, Um, so I just jumped in, tried to see what they had developed so far, and spent another week there, week and a half. Went out to another facility, trained for about a week, came back to home, and they said, "Hey, we'll give you a couple days, wait, you know, a couple days to get the decision makers in DC to to give the thumbs up whether you're going to forward stage again, right? Mm -hmm. Move overseas or or stay here." and uh yeah and they hadn't made the decision yet at that point from what i understand and what uh from what i understand no official decision had been made yet other than okay prepare the force we've got the plan but we're going to wait to make the decision at that point they had at least made the decision to forward stage us so then we get the call that we're we're leaving so i've heard mcraven talk about that he was on jocko's podcast
0: recently uh talking about that and i think he he in that podcast i believe he said that uh he's like hey let me just forward stage the guys just in case just in case we get you want to do this
1: what the crazy something. thing was is there were squadrons in afghanistan who could have done that op mm. that night yeah with no rehearsals no anything right yeah. my opinion only right the reason we were picked was a we were home and we were able to rehearse and, and prove yeah. to the decision makers right that we could do it. Now they wouldn't know if we could have done it or not done it by watching us. They don't know what they're looking for. Yeah. But it was all about selling the decision makers that this team could do it. I'll say you had it. everybody there, right? Like you had the heavy hitters out there watching you rehearse. Oh yeah, yeah. everybody. Yeah, a L- lot of high profile people making sure we could do what we were doing. But yeah. I'll say it a hundred times: the squadron in Afghanistan could have been tasked with that mission that night and and done it. It was was not that tactically hard or difficult or special in any way that made us more capable of actioning that than anybody else.
0: Yeah, but yeah, that's that's that political side where you have to sell it to those people so that they can go sell it to the boss, the main, the president of the United States, and they can say, look him in the eye and say, hey, I watched these guys do this. They can do it. And in his mind, these same people that we saw do it are gonna be the same people that are doing it, and that's just.
1: And I'm not knocking rehearsals. I'm not knocking any yeah, of that. Yeah. I just, in in 13 combat tours, I've never rehearsed for anything besides that mission. Yeah. Right before, like an hour before the op, there was never a lot of pre-planning. This was the one op that we had time yeah. to pre-plan.
0: And then, how long do you are you back in in Va Beach before you load up and go yep, after a couple those rehearsals? A couple days. Got the
1: word. I remember reading in one of the intel packages for for the mission, right, that we're planning. That uh, somebody had, had said there was a 70% chance, 7 percent chance of us being shot down on the flight to the target or the flight home. I'm not a numbers guy, but 70 is never a good one, right? Yeah. But I remember that being in the some of the mission planning, air risk assessment stuff. So I have that in the back of my mind, 70% chance of possibly getting shot down, talking to my next door neighbor. And he's talking about how stressed he is at work and everything he's got going on at work the next week, and I, I remember thinking, I'm just chuckling to myself thinking, man, what I'm about to do next week and what you got going on next week?" or are... <laughs> It's all relative.
0: Yeah, you know, it's all relative. Uh, we left the next day? left the next day. Do you know why they let you guys go home rather than stay in isolation and just go they from didn't one one of those places as all? Yeah, or stay in, so even when you're in those other locations training, you're not in lockdown or anything like yeah. that. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're training, but I was always found kind it of curious. Those that
1: locations were locked down. We yeah, we not go
0: anywhere. So there, so I was kind of curious that they, they, you know, I guess it's the trust side of it, but that you were kind of let out, go back, say bye by to families, and do all all that stuff, and have a couple of days there where but it, it was wasn't like, really
1: say goodbye to families. It wasn't, hey, you can tell them where you're going. It right? was, hey, you'll be at home for a couple of days, and I mean, I'm, I remember telling friends and family, hey, you just got back from deployment, why are you leaving again, oh, another trip, you know, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Do you remember calling me? No. Yeah, you called me.
0: And uh, like, I remember exactly where I was, I was in the the house, remember our old house there in in Coronado, and I was in that washer dryer room, you come out of the garage and you take a right and there was that washer dryer right there. And uh, I remember you called me and I'm like, you know, and and, uh, in my head, I didn't make the connection. Because I had been read read in on something else like a few months earlier that we were like, if something happens, then, you know, you guys get to do this part of it. And uh, I'll never say what it is because it wasn't like it wouldn't make any sense to anybody anyway. Uh, It doesn't. But I thought that was it. And I was like, oh, okay. My guess is that something is going to go do this thing that I got was gonna have a part in but now obviously i'm not gonna have a part in it because i'm going to 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 iraq to do the you know normal deployment over there um but in my head i was like no oh, man and uh and i was like roger that and uh and then i go to like i have a few more days before i deploy you was know, it's like four or five days whatever it was and uh and then i got the word that uh you know on tv like hey the president's gonna address the nation uh and they, the news had it already had said, we think this is what it's going to be. Right. We think that, uh, you know, he's going to announce that yeah. uh, there was a raid that, that was successful was against so Bin That was from yeah.
1: second it But as soon
0: as that hit, I was like, <laughs> 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 but I didn't make the connection before you left. Uh, it was only after it came on the news because you didn't give a hint about anything. It could have been a call about anything. You right. could have been like, you know, you could Yeah, but I didn't ever really call you and say,
1: hey. Yeah. We never had too many of those tone conversations. Yeah.
0: This stuff's just assumed. Yeah. But... You called and said that. And I was like, oh, okay, got it. And oh. uh, and then another one of our friends did, the, did something similar. And I was like, hmm. uh, but I didn't put it together. Totally did not put it together what it was. Uh, I thought it was something totally different. And then, of course, when I saw that, and even when that news came across, I remember to this day, I was like, I was like, man, they're going to do both things. Like, I'm like, they're (laughs) going to do what I thought. And they did what they just announced on television. Uh, And I remember I, I, uh, because it was, you know, that Easter time frame and there's family around and stuff. And I, I the kids were young. And uh, before the president came on, I remember I got a frosted glass. It was before the microbrew insanity took over, uh, took over Southern California and the rest of the, the country. Uh, so Guinness was still a thing. So uh, so I had a port-a-nice Guinness. Nice work. And I sat down and then just waited for the president to come on. And then he addressed the nation.
1: Um, and uh, I was like,
0: son of a bitch. Yeah,
1: we sat in a... Uh in the hangar in Bagram, um, we had got we had landed mm-hmm. in, in, back in J-BAD. j transloaded C-130 up to Bagram, landed in Bagram, turned over the body, turned over all our intel, did our AAR debrief. And then they were like, hey, the president's coming on. So that all happened that so quick. Fast. Like I was still in my camis. Like everybody's still operational uniforms, taking our plates and stuff off. But... Still very much coming down from everything, and sat there on the floor. They wheeled in a big screen TV, and we watched him do his deal. Um, so wild! Took so a shower, really, put on civilian clothes, and I have to fly home. And
0: then got your Taco Bell. Yeah, but, uh, that's right. But uh, so when you guys go over there, you still don't know if it's green lit, like when no, you guys fly out. Not green
1: lit till we were there several days. And then, uh,
0: and then you have the green light, but then weather hits.
1: We're yeah, we, we hadn't necessarily got the green light. When they gave us the green light, it was for one day later than okay. we had planned. Got and it. that was based off the moon cycle, loom, everything. Um, it was delayed due to weather, right? Mm. I've, I've heard that one used. Mm. Um, I would also argue there was a uh, something big happening in Washington, D.C. that night. Mm. The White House Correspondence Dinner mm. was the night before the raid interesting and Obama was busy making jokes um, Interesting center stage and that was the night we had planned to go. So it it got delayed wow. for weather Got uh, it. Okay. Hey, the next day we launched and the reason we crashed is because the weather was now eight degrees warmer Interesting the weight and balance on the hel- helos weren't updated based off the temperature difference And that's why we were overloaded and, and <sighs> crashed so I'd like to argue that had we been delayed a day for the correspondence dinner, there was a lot of additional risk that came out of it. Wow!
0: And that's something they don't even consider at those, you know, senior senior levels on the political well, side. gonna anyway. hit the
1: party first, and then we can do that. i will
0: make the decision. I'll think about it while I'm at the party.
1: Yeah, interesting.
0: Dude, that is crazy. So you're on the ground. Good idea. Ferry strikes multiple times with. Uh, uh carry this carry that here's a blowhorn, you know
1: bullhorn thing to, sure. that you need or this and they want to no, carry no common sense yeah. right that's the good idea fairy they come from above you don't oh, know where yeah. they live Familiar. But they drop in great ideas for you to do yeah that will change your life <laughs> drastically yeah and it's really hard to argue back against them because it's coming from the general level or the joint chiefs of staff like mm-hmm. crazy high up and you're thinking this whole time, you're just, are you, at what time does it creep in? Like when you're
0: training at these locations in the States or on the flight over, when you pop a couple, after you pop a couple Ambien or wake up from that Ambien induced sleep, uh, at what point are you, are, does it? Is it just creeping in more and more just the historical significance of what you're going to do? Um, even though, hey, you're going after a target, capture kill mission, yeah. done hundreds of them, but where does it start to? I think
1: a lot of us tried to keep it, yeah, just like that right like the intel of this target the number of people on target tactically it wasn't that hard it was different because mm. where it was and some things but but none of it was overly difficult per se
0: yeah.
1: right so while yes it was a very high profile target right whether you're a low-level taliban guy or you're bin laden himself right an ak bullet's still gonna hurt um so i i always tried to look at the missions no differently. I don't care who the personality is, we're gonna mitigate the liability and risk in this Mm. way. And that's the way I tried to keep it. Um, I think after the fact is when all of that floods in and you're you're left, very much after the fact, trying to process all of that Mm -hmm.
0: afterwards. And, and you have a very cool conversation with the uh, I don't know if they, the senior level analyst, I'm not sure if that's the right way to describe her position or not, but someone who'd been involved in this hunt for five years, uh, devoted her life to doing that. And you ask her on the flight over, what's the percentage, uh, what, what percent chance do you think it's really happening there? Yeah. And she's like, 100%. Right. And you're like, what? Bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whenever you hear 100%, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's always, you know, but she was like steadfast.
1: And she was the only one who was that steadfast. Mm -hmm. And so there was something about that, right? She was either crazy or wicked smart. Mm -hmm. Turns out she was wicked smart and, and nailed it, but. Incredible. Yeah.
0: And so you ask her on the flight over, you guys land, get ready. You kind of have to hustle to another plane so people don't see you in Bagram type thing. You know, all this OPSEC lessons learned from the first time, the yep. man in the flowing robe stuff. So now it's super compartmentalized and uh, off you go to stage at another spot and uh, and then you, you get ready to, to go and you get the green, the green, green
1: light. You're going the next morning or night. Yeah. So that is good great. Good luck getting some sleep.
0: Yeah. Did you sleep? Yeah, uh, I think so. Well, you slept on the helicopter.
1: I think so, I slept on the helicopter. That's sure. insanity.
0: How can you sleep on a helicopter? Half, right? It's <laughs> an hour and a half, right? It takes me an hour and a half just to go to sleep like any night, even if I'm totally exhausted. How are you going after the most significant uh, target of the century, uh, uh, essentially, and
1: and sleep on the way in? You've done this enough, <laughs> you know the deal, right? You can have all the spin prior to, but once you're on the helo, there's nothing left to worry about. You're, you're there, you're committed, you're, it's happening. Right, you're along for the ride. I got an hour and a half to kill. I can sit here and go things in my head and drive myself crazy, or I can try and zen out, find my happy place for a little bit, maybe get a little sleep, something, so so I'm maybe a little fresh when I get there.
0: That's wild, like I've never, I was never able, to do that, have that level of, uh, I don't know what, what it is, but I would, I would always be thinking through what if, what, thinking through those contingencies, of course, and like for me, safety of flight, meaning whether it's aircraft or to and from in a Hilux sure. or a gun truck or whatever, uh, like getting to and from those targets for me was always like, okay, if we get hit, if we go down, what if a truck in front of me gets goes down, what if this other helo goes down? Like I was always just
1: thinking those in my head. We had pretty limited head. options though, yeah. if you really think about it, right? A, there was only 24 of us. Hilo options were somewhat limited. If had there been Hilo issues, we had some backups because we did have Hilo issues. Um, There was no getting out on foot, right? There was no escape and evasion plan. All of that in my mind was not happening, Mm -hmm. right? It was, I carried four mags and a frag. Wow. That's it, right? That's a four minute gunfight if (laughs) you're going to town. So none of us care. I didn't even carry a pistol. Right, we needed to lighten the load. We crashed because we were overweight anyway. But we we pulled out the seats in the helicopters. I think only one guy on the entire mission carried a pistol. Wow! Because we were trying to go as light as possible. Yeah. And, and uh,
0: yeah. That's why. And so you get a you, You're coming in. You get over talking. This is really, you know, cool. And when McRaven talks about it, and he just get the guys on the ground.
1: Yeah. You know, I remember that's him cool. That. Like that's. Yeah, I remember him briefing that cool. to the helo pilots, like around the fire pit before the mission. He was like, "Hey, you know, bottom line, get the problem solvers, right? The operators mm-hmm. on the ground. Mm-hmm. Don't don't try and be a superhero. Don't throw the game-winning touchdown. Just get them on the ground." And I think that had to have resonated with these pilots, right? These pilots are the most badass pilots in the world. You've flown with them. You know how good they are. Um, and and uh, you think about the the stress level they're operating under. This is the biggest mission of all time in space. And they're the helicopter pilots flying these yeah. helicopters. Yeah. Um, a lot of pressure on them to be perfect. And and now think about this, right? When our helo came in and, and within seconds, we crashed, right? It wasn't a long process. We came into a hover. Within seconds, jolted 90 degrees and we knew we were crashing, right? Planes can kind of come in and crash okay. Helicopters crash very ugly. And we were... 40 feet up on our side, crashing sideways with me sitting in this door. And so, before
0: this, you had said, hey, if anything happens, it's not gonna be our helo because most everybody in here has already crashed at least once or <laughs> there twice. Was,
1: there was some prior conversation <laughs> between Chalk 1 and Chalk 2. Uh-huh. Uh, how many people have been in Hilo crashes before? And we're like, well, we have more Hilo crashes under our belt, so the odds are it's gonna be them. Uh huh. Sure enough, okay, we, we crashed, but that happened so quickly that there was no radio call between Chalk 1 pilot and Chalk 2.
0: People didn't even know you crashed for the longest The no. other assaulters
1: didn't know yeah. until we were all on the ground. So back to Admiral McRaven's, just get him on the ground, mm-hmm. um, right? Second helos coming into arguably a much harder hover on the third floor of the building. We were a little lower going into the courtyard. So much higher chance of this guy crashing if we've just crashed. He sees through his night vision goggles, right, looking through toilet paper tubes, Uh looks over and sees the helos down in the courtyard. Doesn't know if we've been shot down, mechanical issue, has no idea what's going on. And that pilot doesn't think, hey, I'm going to push a bad position and try and hold my hover. That pilot remembered exactly what McRaven said and, boom, moved outside the compound walls and set his helo down that Mm. quick. Assaulters in the back of that helo land outside the compound. They were supposed to be on the roof of the main target building. So immediately, right, whole plan goes sideways. Uh, Mike Tyson's famous quote: "Everybody has a plan to get punched in the face." Yeah, we we got punched in the face pretty quick, and
0: um, that was pretty cool. But just get the guys on the ground. Like that stood out to me when he said it, when I've heard him say it, and that I think it's in his his books as well. Uh, he says that, and I think he said it not just to. You guys, the helo pilots, like that. I think he pushed that up the chain, if I'm not. I might be mistaken, but um, I think that he's telling the senior level leaders, hey, we just need to get these guys. Oh, This is
1: what they do. It was the same concept. Get Once we crash on and the they're ground. like, what's going on? like, no not There's that's contingencies it. for this. They're fine. They're yep. on the ground. That's. So don't that, worry. Helo's down. We see the little ants from the ISR feed getting out of the helo. That's pretty cool. Check.
0: Yeah, that's great. And you didn't just, so you're unhooked. Like, you didn't just, like, you know, just set down like you've unhooked I'm unhooked I'm You're at 40 ready to feet, throw hang, the fast rope
1: feet are out hanging onto the rope getting ready to push it and, and then it turns the your direction yeah to come in yep our mutual friend <laughs> grabbing on behind me right holding me in um right I, I, I thought we were done no doubt in my mind I was like we're gonna come in and roll my little my little skinny chicken legs <laughs> that are hanging outside the getaway sticks are get, gone are gonna get chopped and, and we're donezo before we even get this thing started. Yeah. Um, Do you still think about that today? I am now. Yeah. <laughs> um, when we hit, uh, Right, you're waiting for the whatever comes next and, and nothing happened.
0: You're waiting for those blades to
1: catch? something? Um, Roll black Blackhawk helicopter, right? Got your little rear wheel on the bottom underneath the, the tail rotor, right? Got your whole tail section. You got your main rotor up top. So when we came in and landed, you've seen the imagery of the compound. Those are the wall that mm-hmm. circles the, the compound. The wall's about 10 inches wide, 12 feet tall. When we came in and landed, the, the tail section of our helicopter landed on top of the wall, and the front of the helicopter was kind of lawn darted down into the courtyard. Right? The wheel the tail wheel, the only load bearing section to the backside of this helicopter landed perfectly on that wall. I mean. Had that wheel been eight inches left or right, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? The angle of the helicopter was so perfect that the main rotor blades didn't hit the dirt. It's insane. 12 were propped up, right? Had had the wall been a foot taller, the angle would have been steep enough, main rotor blades would have hit the dirt. Again, you'd be talking to somebody else right now. None of those things. Everything hit perfect, all right? I'm basically cleaning my shorts at this point. <laughs> and uh, our mutual friend like, we to get the fuck out of the helo, let's go. Yeah. Um, Do you think it's still gonna roll maybe or something like that, or are you like? I mean, this all happened so quickly. Yeah. It felt like forever, but it was, boom, we hit. You're waiting for something, we're stable. And then, but I'm still eight feet up looking out of the, the helo, yeah. propped up along the fence. Um, so I had to jump out and then I couldn't run around the front of the helicopter because the main blades are spinning. Um, so I I ran away from the helo, but the main compounds this way. So I turn around and look and everybody else is unassing out the other side of the helo and they're already going to work. Like they're going to make fun of me later if I don't get in the fight. (laughs) Exactly. That's a motivator right there. (laughs) Yeah, that's Uh motivation. Um, so ran down along the wall underneath the tail section, joined with the other guys and went to work and luckily you have
0: your, uh, your Solomons on that covered your ankles, so that you didn't you had, uh, sprain
1: uh, those little ankles. That's it. Uh, and so you joined, you joined those guys, and then, then you're adapting. our team had an explosive breach on, a, on a, the gate to get back into the compound where we were gonna originally fast rope. Probably the whole crash landing delayed us less than two minutes. Oh, wow. So not a large amount of time, but we definitely woke some people up because we just crash landed a helicopter into their backyard.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and not only is it just some people, it's like the most wanted man in the world. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and you know, going to the X, flying the helos to the X, right? A lot more mm-hmm. dangerous, there's pros and cons to all of mm-hmm. these things, and and we understood those risks, but it was what it was. We're there now, nothing we can do about it. Now it's go to work. So um, my team was responsible for clearing the a southern- like a guest uh, house or something? Yep, guest house at the southern end of the compound. Moved to the door, it was locked right we're trying to be professionals i know we'd be sneaky we'd we'd made a little noise crash landing <laughs> our helicopter but yeah. we were going to be quiet getting through the door throttle up throttle down so uh my my buddy who's there has a sledgehammer starts banging on this door it's not going to open metal door dual doors metal um and now we're we just crash landed a helicopter now we're banging on your front door with mm-hmm. a sledgehammer they definitely know where they yeah um and we've all been shot at through the doors before so I was just smart enough. I had an explosive charge. We weren't going to waste our time with the with the sledge. We're going to go explosive. Get this door open quick. So I move to the door. right between me to you. I get on my knee. So I'm down as low as I can in front of the front of the hinges or the doorknob, setting my charge. And I can't see him, but on the other side of the door, the guy opens up with an AK, um, full auto, just spraying through the door. Thankfully, I happen to be on my knee. Um, return fire. My partner returned fire through the door. Um, I was laying on my back in front of the doorway at the end. Cause as he started firing, I didn't bail right or left. I just kind of fell straight back on my back and started shooting through the door. Um, everything goes quiet. I roll out of the way. Um, my, my buddy who had the sledge spoke Arabic. So starts calling into the house in Arabic. Hey, come out, come out type thing. And, uh, And within seconds, you can hear the metal latch on the inside of the door. Somebody's unlocking the door. Like, okay, I've been in those situations before. got shot at through the door. You back off, you call them out, and somebody runs out with a suicide vest on. Um, I've lived through all those situations. Now here we are. We've just crash landed. I've just been shot at. We've been on the ground less than three and a half minutes. And now I've got my charge on the door. My buddy's saying, hey, come out, come out and we hear the door getting ready to open. Like, we should have tried this when we first landed. This space <laughs> <laughs> Um Door opens up. It's a female holding the baby with like two kids behind her. In perfect Arabic to my, my partner, said he's dead, speaking of her husband. And sure enough, he's laying there just inside the door with an AK-47 and a pistol. Um, Move the women and kids out to safety, cleared that building and then uh, rolled into the main building. And by that point on the main building, uh, who's up there right now?
0: Is there already people The main building
1: at this point, the second helo was supposed to go to the roof. So they would have been hitting top down, we would have been hitting bottom up, but that, that didn't happen. So now the people outside, the assaulters have now made it inside the compound. Now we're all at the main compound. The first floor has been cleared. We're working our way up to the second and third floors. And uh, yeah, so we just breached a few doors. Now we're internal. Working our way up, second floor. Was already shots fired by the time you you got there? Yep, one of the other facilitators and his wife were actually shot on the first floor, um, both with AKs. So, okay, significant that uh, both facilitators, both armed and dangerous. We we Mm. figured as much. Uh, Intel had said most likely the man himself lived on the third floor. Uh, Most likely his son Khalid lived on the second. This was all best guess, um, but you have to be thinking in the back of your mind, okay, we just hit this target, we don't know who's here, somebody high level's here, everybody we've encountered on the first floor has a gun and is defending themselves, that's a big deal, we've now woken everybody up, and people on the first floor are ready, that means people on the second and third floor are even more ready, and more prepared for whatever, yeah. and, and we'd had plenty of briefs saying, hey, Bin Laden slept with a suicide vest. Lon's house was rigged to blow. If you guys ever set foot in his house, they're going to blow up the house, killing himself and all of y'all. Um, so those were all pre-briefed contingencies that we knew we were going to have to deal with as we moved to the second and third floor.
0: And so you're on that first floor now, and then you move to the stairway with somebody that's holding on that second second deck. Is that how it goes? I'm
1: up onto the second floor now. You move the second clear deck. Everybody's clearing the second hallway. Um, there's a point man in front of me. And was there uh, shots fired on that second deck? About to be. As I was lining up, he had taken shots from the second floor up into the landing between the second and third floor on okay. the stairwell. Um, and turned out that was Khalid, right? That was the point where, right, we're being quiet. Don't run to your death. It's no flashlights. We're not yelling and screaming. It's not the movies. Um, pitch black, right? We're in the house. And uh, the guy in front of me, the Seal in front of me, we'd been briefed that Khalid, Might live on the second floor. So he'd ridden the helicopter crash in with me. Now here he was. He saw a head pop around the landing and then disappear. Just an adult male head, didn't know who it was, didn't know anything. House is pitch black. We've got our night vision on. That person couldn't see us, but we could see him very quickly. And the, the point man in front of me literally whispers, Khalid's name, right? Sexiest move I've ever seen in my career because I'd have been the dumbass yelling his name or you know, saying, hey, it's Team America, we're here to get you. <laughs> the- uh, He just goes Khalid. He Whispers it, super soft, super calm. And I can only imagine if I am Khalid, having hidden in this house for years, hearing helicopters, hearing a little bit of muffled gunfire, some explosions, then everything goes quiet. I hear some maybe muffling in my house, maybe boots moving around. And then I hear somebody softly whisper my name. We peeked around the corner and got popped. I mean, genius. Epic. Yeah. Epic move.
0: Yeah. Black belt level.
1: Epic. <laughs> and, and if you really understand this, right, we'd given ourselves 30 minutes on target for fuel consumption for the Helos mm. with a 10-minute window to spare. So 40 minutes, and we have to be out of there or you're walking home, and we're not walking home. So mm. we know what that means. So you had better catch your flight out of there on time. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've assaulted up sets of stairs with people with guns at the top of the stairs. Very, very difficult. Can be very slow. So you think about the significance of that. Because as we stepped around the wall, Khalid's laying there dead with an AK-47, locked and loaded, off safe. Which meant he knew something was going on. He had a gun. He was prepared. And had we gone up the stairs, rounded the corner, he would have shot the point man point blank. Mm -hmm. Maybe myself, any of the rest of us, but it would have slowed our assault down. It would have given the third floor more time to prepare. It would have burnt more fuel out of our helos, and the odds are we wouldn't have made it home. So you really factor in the significance of that one move.
0: can't be understated. So he takes that shot.
1: But it also confirms that, hey, this this intel lady who said everything's 100%. Yeah. Like, right at this point. things are working up to 70,
0: 80, 90 right now. In the back
1: of my mind, I'm like, she's absolutely right. Like, literally everything she said is is checking off the... Checking off.
0: Amazing. So, second deck, take that shot, and then you guys
1: clear that or you go right to the third deck? Second deck's cleared. We're now heading up to the third because he's taking his shots, right? Now we've got a whole train totally of guys good. to move up to the third floor, um, right? And it's this, the same this point, was not man, is in front of rescue. you. Yeah, yeah. This was not people flooding the house running in every direction. Why? There's no, there's no hostages to, to risk that speed on. It's combat clearance. So, it's slow, methodical, there's no rush for anybody to run to the third floor. Tactically, why would two people be in such a rush to run upstairs? There's no hostage. All we do is combat clearance, slow, methodical. So we made sure we had the appropriate number of people to assault up to the third floor and then clear it. So do you give, do you give the squeeze? Yep. Dang, dude. Yep. And in
0: your mind, you're like, okay, we got first floor, we got second floor, third floor is where she said he's gonna be? Uh,
1: Yeah, but there's so much going on at this point. You're just thinking, okay, that guy answered to Khalid. Okay, we're just figuring it out as we go, right? Like we always do. Um, So, did you know who's in the guest house? Did
0: you guys do a quick confirmation of who that was in the guest house? You just dead guy with a gun. Okay.
1: Um, Now we had ideas of who their names were and where they might live, but there was no confirmation. You didn't check. Non-threat. Move on. Okay. Um, So now it's okay. We're heading up to the third floor, narrow hallway. Point man's in front of me, um, sees a head pop out the, the doorway at the top of the stairs, takes a shot, headshot, right? Head disappears into the room. Interesting piece here, right? Rules of engagement we're not going in and kill everybody. Not once in my career have I been told, go in and kill everybody. You know as well as I do, that's not what we do, right? If he poses a risk or a threat, you deal with accordingly. So mm-hmm. had he stayed in the middle of his room with his hands up and been a non-threat, he wouldn't have been engaged. Mm-hmm. We would have apprehended him. Yep. Um, and that was very clearly briefed by multiple attorneys through this whole process. Yeah. Why were those shots taken? Well within the rules of engagement because it was only the head exposed down the hallway. Every other adult male on target that we'd seen from the first floor had a gun in hand, and was willing to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. You had to assume Bin Laden either had the gun, the, the device to clack the, the explosives off, so well within the rules of engagement. Um, takes the shots, disappears, right? The- it's one shot or two shots down the hallway? I don't remember, a couple, couple shots. Go to the doorway, right? We don't enter the room still, he's twitching at the foot of his bed. Um, Probably three or four of us enter the room, engage him, he's done. Um, and when I say that, he was done with the original headshots. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and is there people, are women screaming and kids screaming at yep, this point? Right,
1: and and there's, right, women and kids are in the room. They're not in the hallway. They're not anywhere else. They're absolutely in the room, right? Why would, there's no reason that the women and kids would be out in the hallway, Right, the point man, right, after seeing the threat that he had engaged was down at the foot of his bed. That's why that point man entered the room and grabbed the women and pushed them back against the far wall. Again, had they been suicide vests, explosives, whatever, he that's why he pushed them back against the far wall. They were in the room with bin Laden, not in the hallway. They were all it was late. They would have been <sighs> sleeping. Because he, uh, knows, he knows he's going to take that blast if it goes, and he knows you're going to— Make sure that this threat
0: gets a few more to the chest.
1: That's it. And stays down. Right. You've seen this selfless, sacrifice, heroic stuff happen all the time. And that, sure. right? Nobody thinks about that move. Again, this is the same guy who whispered Khalid. This is the same guy who's still in serving today and will never say a word about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Incredible. Rushed him to push the women back. He knew full well, had they had something, what he would have, the price he would have paid for that. Mm-hmm. Um, turns out they didn't have anything. Check. Now it's the, Third floor, secure. DNA samples, photos, bag them up, uh, and and now get out of there before we run out of fuel. There's a little more to it. There's a uh, there's uh, who is this guy? <laughs> you had to it, confirm who there, he was. There's a let's right? make sure. He, uh, this guy looks like baby, our guy. He uh, his beard, right? Looking at him, uh, he was tall enough, right? He had the nose profile. He uh, had a couple headshots, so it was pretty, pretty messy. Um, but it was pretty easy to tell it was him. His beard was pitch black, yeah. right? Freshly dyed. I think I talk about in the book, I found just for men hair dye uh, on his shelf in his bathroom. Yeah. So he'd been dying his hair look a little younger, I guess. Um, and you move the women and children to the balcony, move them... Yeah, women and kids are moved away. We question them, who is it? They give us aliases, question them some more. They come back and say who it is. One so of the kid, one of the kids we got confirmation it. verbally from women and kids. We can visually ID them 99.9%. Um, now it's, hey... Right, they call the EOD guy and say prep it to blow. Referring to the downed helicopter. Right. Well, the EOD guy rode in on the other helicopter and they didn't know we'd crashed. Target's secure, <laughs> call comes over the radio, EOD, prep it to blow. Jeez. He starts running around the building setting thermobaric charges to blow up the whole building. Wow. Like, hey bud, what are you doing? <laughs> like, well, they said prep it to blow. I'm like, not the house, the oh, helicopter. Geez. He's like, what helicopter? What helicopter? Like, Go look in the courtyard. Amazing. So both he and our ground force commander who didn't know either at that point, <laughs> ran out in the courtyard to see that we had a, a helicopter down and that there was, we had a contingency stuff to get another helo to come in pick us up. We had to put explosives on the down helo. We had to collect all the intel, move all the women and kids to safety on target and get out of there in a very short amount of time.
0: I mean, it's so incredible on every level, But uh, but you have to now stand over this guy and be like, Okay, like you're one of the first people to have to confirm
1: or give a guess. pulled the sheets off of his bed, wiped the blood off of his face. Uh, Our boy (laughs) poured water out of his camelback hose to get the blood off, and we took the photos and bagged him up and pulled him down the stairs. Before you even did that, were you pretty sure? Yeah, no, at that point, 100%. At at that point, we're like, no, that's him, absolutely. Okay, let's get the fuck out of here.
0: Doing the DNA stuff. Uh, it's saliva, blood, yep. all the rest of it. You got the photos, and uh, then the squadron commander is like, Hey, is this hand you? T- you're the first person, I think, to take out your picture and like compare, right? Well, we all had, we all had carried photos, yeah. There was but you're one of the first people in that room to like,
1: yeah, do this, you, right? If you're in the room, you, you kind of clean them, right? Once you're there, you stay in the room. So we were there, we stay in the room, we dealt with the body, we cleaned it up, did the DNA, did all that, searched that room. Everybody else was searching the rest of the comp- compound. And then, uh, then on the radio, it was like, hey, guys, time to exfil now. Do not wait. Do not, you know, drop what you were doing. Exfil now. And yeah. that's we had an extra bird coming in. We had the original Blackhawk back inbound. Since my team had the body, the boss said, hey, you guys will go back out on the, the Blackhawk. So we run out, throw the, throw the body bag in. Jump in the helo. First thing I see is the whole cockpit of this fancy aircraft is flashing red. I'm a, I'm a little sensitive already because I'd been in the you one Hilo crash that nah. night, and it's uh, it's our gas gauges. So right, we've given ourselves 30 minutes on target with 10 minutes to spare, and we're at 38 minutes when I when we lift it off. So I know we're running on fumes because the whole flashing red cockpit. God. We've got a whole bunch of explosives rigged to our down helicopter that's on a, on a ticking time bomb. Not a remote controlled anything. It's a countdown clock and it's ticking. So the rest of the SEALs are waiting for their helicopter to come pick them up and the, the backup helicopter, right, it's literally going to fly directly over top of the compound where our crashed helicopter is to land on the, on the west side. So as he's coming in, he gives a radio call, hey, I'm 30 seconds out and you know the deal, at 29.30 they're going to land right in front of you. So he says, 30 seconds out, my buddy, who'd uh, the guy on my team who'd set all the charges, looks at his, his watch, and we got charges going within about 20 seconds. We're within about 10 seconds of blowing our own helicopter out of the sky. Jeez. So he gets on the radio, right, not the ground force commander, the guy who set the demo, calls the helicopter pilots himself and says, hey, this is me doing immediate go-around to the south. Yeah. And the pilots yanked and banked and did a go-around to the south, and as they're doing their go-around, boom. This goes up, then they're able to land post explosion, pick up the rest of the guys, and then they flush back to Afghanistan. That's
0: insanity. But before you leave that room, there's a, you, you search above the door mm-hmm. and find yeah. uh, Kalashnikov and That's it. A pistol, right? Or just a Just, a ga- AK. just okay. the AK, just the AK, uh,
1: right? There's a fascinating bit of all this. Bin Laden had more time to prepare some sort of defense than anybody else. He was on the third floor. He ultimately didn't do anything, right? All he had to do was reach above the door where he was standing and grab his gun. We found the gun five minutes into the search. I had no idea it was there. Um, So he didn't even attempt to get his gun, right? His son died 20 feet away from down the stairs with a gun in hand defending him. The two facilitators that took care of everything died gun in hand defending him. He didn't do anything. Did you think about that
0: at the time? Like when you grab that no. Kalashnikov and then you check it?
1: No, nothing in the chambers, clear and safe. Like
0: dust on it, been sitting there for months. And you just, uh, you just move on or do you, th- you start processing this? Because here, this is pretty, pretty powerful. Uh, you say it was, it was empty. And then you say, he hadn't even prepared a defense. He had no intention of fighting. He asked his followers for decades to wear suicide vests or fly planes into buildings, but didn't even pick up his weapon. In all my deployments, we routinely saw this phenomenon. The higher up the food chain the targeted individual was, the bigger a something he was. Yeah. The leaders were less willing to fight. It is always the young and impressionable who strap on the explosives and blow themselves up. Bin Laden knew we were coming when he heard the helicopter. He had more respect for the guy in the guest house because at least he tried to defend himself. Bin Laden had more time to prepare than the others and yet he still didn't do anything. Did he believe his own message? Was he willing to fight the war he asked for? I don't think so. Otherwise, he would have at least... Gotten his gun and stood up for what he believed. There's no honor in sending people to die for something you won't even fight for yourself. Man.
1: There you go. That's wild. Yeah. I don't know. Some... Yeah.
0: Like, that should say something to, uh, to the tactical level fighters of the enemy.
1: Well, on our side or their side, maybe. I yes. don't know. I was thinking that right. same I, thing. I don't know how to articulate that <laughs> I was thinking the same there's, thing. There's something there between the leadership who's <sighs> not willing to stand up and do it themselves. Yeah. Say, say, you know, do as I say, not as I do.
0: It's a, I guess it's a common phenomena uh, across fighting forces and militaries in general, perhaps. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. And uh, later you learn that somebody was tweeting.
1: Yeah, apparently Jerry from Jerry well, Abbottabad was tweeting about the the gunfire explosions, whatever, helicopter yeah. noise, whatever it was. It, it was interesting, and, and a tweet would go hand in hand. We're so used to Afghanistan, Iraq targets flying into Abbottabad. I'm, I'm looking out the helo, and we were passing really nice houses with in-ground pools. Oh, wow. Like, legit. Yeah. Nice buildings for, hey. for the type of places we spent a lot hey. of our career. <laughs> yeah. So it would make sense that there were people tweeting from their house. They're not yeah. used to this type of stuff. That's wild. I wonder what happened to that guy.
0: You know, <laughs> What if he's still active on Twitter? Yeah. Um, my yeah. goodness. Jeez. Uh, uh, and what what happened to that Kalashnikov? Uh, did you guys take it with you?
1: Uh, I think the agency has it now in their yeah. museum.
0: And when those shots got fired through the door in that first, in the guest house, um, did you feel something strange? Like, did you get that, uh, your shoulder, neck, did you...
1: I picked up a little frag in my shoulder, bullet hit the door first. So you thought right? it was like some so wood or some in.
0: glass maybe or something? Yeah,
1: I didn't know what it was. It wasn't It wasn't a through and through or anything crazy. I probably had a four-inch spot of blood on my shoulder, but it wasn't bleeding yeah. uh, crazy. So I knew it wasn't a gunshot. Um, I wear a set of bolt cutters on my on my back. So each each handle of the bolt cutter comes up a six inches or so. Mm-hmm. so. I can cut something, put it back in its pouch. And when I we got home a couple weeks later, we're doing some training deal again, and I go to pull out my bolt cutters. I hadn't looked at them up close. I go to pull out my bolt cutters, and there's a bullet stuck in the handle of my bolt cutter. So, he he definitely gotten close. That's crazy. And Where are those bolt cutters now? I uh, I donated them to the 9/11 museum. So they're in New York City at the Ground Zero. Is yeah. a bullet
0: still in there? Or do you pry it out?
1: No, sir. Dang, that's crazy.
0: Ah, and uh. Oh, man, that is wild. So so he's bagged. You get him to the helo. You carry him to the helo. Yep. Get him on that helo. Sitting on him. Off I remember fly. we had to run
1: through these, like, potato fields or something where the helo landed, and you know how little he is. And I remember he's trying to pick up his section of the body bag and run. But, like, every third, like, mound of dirt, he'd eat shit and fall over. In his defense, he does
0: have to run twice as far as everyone else. (laughs) He'd
1: pop up swearing and cursing grab the bag and keep running again.
0: Such a good guy. Uh, And so you get that thing on there. You're waiting for this other helo to blow. Other helicopters are coming in. It's chaos. Red lights are going.
1: Eventually, you take off. We take off. We're flying, but we've still got to refuel. So we know we've got a refuel stop. We know that refuel stop is still well inside Pakistan airspace. It's literally 10 minutes from the target, right? Not a not a long flight from mm-hmm. where we just made a boatload of noise blowing up a helicopter. Now, right, Pakistan's radars are coming up. They're scrambling their fighter aircraft. All of that is spinning up, and we have a about a 10-minute flight to our, our FARP refueling point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Landed. There was uh, other SEALs holding security for that helo and two— probably 19-year-old Army kids, right? I'm going to call them kids because I swear they weren't 21. Yeah, They had joined the Army to refuel helicopters, right? They didn't join to be, you know, know, spec ops or anything, like probably for college money, right? And that night for that mission, right, we we would have not made it home from that mission had we not had the two Army kids. I don't know how to refuel a helicopter, right? We stood there, sat there idling for almost... Almost 20-some minutes oh, wow. where they fueled us up. We were 10 minutes from the target, and you're listening on the radio of them scrambling fighter aircraft. And the whole time you're thinking, man, they gave us 70% chance, 70% chance, 70% chance.
0: So you're not even thinking, hey, we have the world's most wanted man here. No. You're like,
1: you're like we're going to get shot down on the flight to the border, and that's going to be a-
0: and that's why that DNA and those photos got split up between All helicopters. All the DNA
1: photos, everything was multiple people had done multiple. So if our helo got shot down, we still had proof. And the other helo, if that helo got shot down, we had proof. We had duplicity of everything. Because there was still a very large threat of us being shot down. We get our gas. The you know two army kids got back in their helo with everybody else. We took off and then hauled ass for the border.
0: We on this? Did you have the two emitters on you? Did you hear the call from the squadron commander back? That uh, No, because he country? was the,
1: there was, we had two officers on the mission. Both Another. of them carried green radios. Okay. And his call back it was, on was one of those. through the green radio. Um, not through the, not through the command net that I was on or the, my team net. Got it. Crazy.
0: So you lift off. You're still thinking you could get blown out of the sky at any second. No. And then you get the
1: feet dry. Yeah, yep. over. I've never thought I'd be happy about hearing "Welcome to Afghanistan." We got the call from the the helo pilots. Hey, w- welcome back to Afghanistan. Boom, landed. Like in Jabad's super close to the border, so it's a it's a quick turn. Boom, you're there. I remember cross loading from the helos and getting in the C-130 to fly to Kabul, and or not Bagram, excuse me, and. um And the agency female who teed all this up, who'd been with us from the beginning. I sat next to her on the flight over 100% the whole time. And I I can remember it like it's yesterday. Dark C-130 with the red lights on it. She's the only one sitting on the the bird. She's sitting just, just at the top of the ramp, right? She's holding her knees and she's sitting there sobbing. And we literally get on. We got all our gear on. We're literally carrying the body bag. And this is somebody that she'd worked for a large part of her life. Sole focus was to, mm. she just worked herself out of a job to some degree. Um, and now here we are. We're walking in with the guy. And she's just sitting there sobbing. And I, I walked by her and, like, rubbed her head and was like, you were 100%. You are right. <laughs> she kept crying. And I got, sat, sat down. We flew to, flew to Kabul. That's crazy. Bottle. That's incredible. And then you land there. And they have some rangers ready to take, uh, take the body. and Yeah. Like, nope. Well, we do the turn over the body. They do more whatever they're going to do. Turn over all the intel. We do our debrief. But you carry them to a Toyota Hilux. You don't hand them off to yep. the... Yeah, no, we carry them to a Toyota Hilux. Uh, one of the senior Army rangers that we'd worked with was there. He came up. They were responsible for transporting the body out to the, out to the carrier to get dumped. Um, that was and it. McRaven's mm-hmm. there. Yeah, McCraven's there. He made, this was in J-bed still when he made oh, one oh, of the guys lay down next to him to yeah. check the height and the whole story about, I think the president gave McCraven a tape measure or something after the mission, like.
0: Well. So that's in j that's uh, that's, that's still in J-bed. Okay, so you do all that stuff over there. Yeah,
1: that was a quick third. McCraven wanted to see him. Okay, check, check. Let's move him to Bagram and go from there. Insane. So Bagram, we weren't in Bagram more than five hours. Our debrief, president gave his whole little spiel, took showers, put on civilian clothes. They sent a flight for us, uh, and then we flew nonstop, refuel, air-to-air refuel, so no stop in Germany, none of that, just direct back, Bagram, all the way back to Va Beach. Landed back at the beach. As soon as you land, people are turning their phones on, everything's just blowing up. It's just, it's, whoa, it's going crazy the door of the plane opens up and we're on a, you know, our, our little base where we fly in and out of, and there's probably 150 dudes from work, uh, pizza, beer, just like, hey, welcome back. I was kind of surreal getting off the plane, like hugging everybody, whatever. Got on a bus, give us a ride back to work. <laughs> like, good job guys, you get two days off. I think I went to work both days anyway, but mm-hmm. that was it. I mean, dropped us off at the command, <laughs> threw up my gear in my locker. Grabbed my keys to my truck, drove home, hit Taco Bell drive through on my way home.
0: And you stop. You stop after that, though, in Taco Bell parking lot and eat your what is it, two Two, two two tacos tacos and a burrito? Bean burrito.
1: There you go. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that was it, man. That's insanity. Yep.
0: And then you go back in a couple days later, is anything sinking in? Like when you get home.
1: Like then you take an ambient on the flight. So your next Yeah, you sleep like a baby coming home (laughs) because now you're letting down from all that adrenaline. And everything's just you just spiked as high yeah. as you can get for X amount of time. And then coming off that, that whole flight home, I slept like a baby. Um, ride, landed. They gave you two days off. Uh, like the, I'm at home the next morning, right? And it's trash day. I like think I've told you this story. My neighbor lady across the street, she knew I was a SEAL, but didn't know anything directly involved, whatever. Um, then literally the next morning, everything's in the news, the media, it's all, everything, that's all that they're talking about on the news. And I'm taking my old trash can to the curb and uh, she she's doing her trash at the same time. She walks across the street, she's crying, gives me this tight bear hug, looks at me and says, you never know what your neighbors do for a living, do you? And then walk back into her house. Um, yeah, that's when, that's when it really, all the craziness hit because prior to this, like We deployed for 10 years, we'd been doing this for a decade. Nobody made a big deal out of it until now because of the, the big high profile and it was Bin Laden and it was just, it became overwhelming very quickly. right? I said they gave us two days off and all we did was most people, all 24 of us were at work both those days because we didn't want to be at home. It was just the whole, everything was super surreal at that point. Yeah, are you thinking about
0: things Historically, strategically, uh, personally, like how are you processing
1: all this at this point? I, I don't even know. Yeah. Um, I'd been really good at processing the tactical for a decade, mm-hmm. but not really good at processing uh, any of the civilian emotion, any of that, right? I don't think uh, team guys are the best at dealing with the emotional anyway, right? As As many... As many sh- schools and courses that I've been to to teach me to be a, a lethal Navy SEAL, right? Nowhere in any of that training has been two seconds worth of, hey, this is how you deal with a friend getting killed. Yeah. This is how you deal with the emotional trauma of any of this. Right. Not one, right? We'd go steal cars together. We can go make homemade bombs. We can go jump out of planes and do all this shit, but yeah. not one second of dealing with that. And so my mechanism was just to always. Put a wall up and and ignore it. And I can remember on the two days off, I'm at work. I'm in my cage, probably cleaning my gear or something. Of course. Um, And my buddy uh, is in another cage over. Mm -hmm. And he's like, he's like, hey. uh," He looks around, make sure nobody else is around, nobody can hear us. He's like, hey, can I ask you a question? Like, yeah, man, what do you got? And I've known this individual for Mm -hmm. a very long time. Worked very closely with him for probably seven, eight years at this point. Mm -hmm. I've seen him more than any of my family. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: He looks around. He's like, hey, are are you sleeping? Like, this is two days after the mission. Of course, nobody's sleeping. I'm like, no, of course I'm not sleeping. He's like, okay. Okay, good. Good. I I feel normal. That single conversation was the deepest emotional conversation I had with any teammate in 14 years of service.
0: Dang.
1: About any of that shit. That was it. <laughs> Ignore an override. Ignore an override. God.
0: At what point do you take a breath after that and think, or do you think, hey, I just did, uh, working at the pinnacle of special operations, I was just part of one of the most historically significant direct actions missions in our nation's history.
1: Maybe it's time to, maybe I've done all I can do here.
0: Like, is that in your mind at all? You're just like, no,
1: not once. No. I mean, I don't know, Dude, I've, I've done these ops for a really long time. That's all yeah. I did for my entire career. So this just had a bigger name attached to it. That was it. And the significance was way greater for other people. Mm-hmm. And I've always tried to look, I don't think it's anything special, right? Other SEALs could have done it that night. Uh, yes, I was very lucky to have been there and and played my role. And And yes, there's value in that but i don't i don't place that as the highest thing in my career that i look on and say wow i was yes very big historical thing but I, but i uh i, I don't want to place all the value in my career on that one mission yeah, yeah. I, I don't i refuse to yeah which is which is probably why i've used the fake name and the, the disguise and i've gone about things the way i have that's that's mm-hmm. you know with Sure, we can talk about it, but yeah. just with the publishing of the book and all the, I've taken this approach for a reason. Did you ever start thinking about, hey, we got
0: for the last ten years we've been decimating this organization to the best of our ability, and now we just got the the head of it. Um, hey, do we still need to be taking out these senior lieutenants or still be looking for uh, Al-Zawahiri? Or, uh, hey, is it just like, who's moving into that space? Let's go get him now. Like, or are you thinking you know about, hey, is <laughs> <over?"> <laughs> at the
1: war over? The game whack a at the arcade yeah. or whatever. You hit one, another one pops up. Like, that's how we were feeling for the last three to four years, right? Yeah. You hit one target. They say it's a big guy. Oh, another one pops up. Another one pops up. For me, right, the, the first thing on my very first deployment in, in my SEAL career, 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. Everything I had done through my career, basically volunteer for everything. I was gone 300 days a year for the whole <laughs> decade plus. Um, to me, after getting him, it it was like, okay, well, what else are we chasing here? For for me, for mm-hmm. my perspective in my career, it was about Bin Laden. Bin Laden started this pre 9/11. Nothing was going on. Now, now we just got Bin Laden kind of good bookends to a career as I'm looking back, you know, personally. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it saying, okay, I'm done with my team leader time, which means I have to I have to go be an instructor somewhere. Okay, I can do that. Went and talked to my leadership. Was like, hey, team leader time's up. I'd like to go, you know, go down to green team, teach some skydiving, whatever. I want to get my master's at night. I'll do it on my own dime. I'll come back, be a troop chief, et cetera. Like, well no we really need you in this other billet and it's 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 not a shore duty billet it's an operational billet I'm like well all I've ever done is raise my hand I've done 13 straight tours I've had no breaks I need a break right I, my personal well-being I, I needed a break at this point I was to yeah. say I was wound tight and would be an understatement um, I think for everybody who'd lived through that career yeah. um, so, yeah, ultimately they they said, hey, we, we can't give you the break that we, you want to go to training. We need you to go to this other operational billet. It wasn't an operational billet that kept me uh, as a point man and, and mm. doing the stuff that I enjoyed. And and so that was really where I sat back and said, okay, whoa, my, my enlistment is coming up to an end. I see what's going on in Afghanistan. I'd seen that for the previous five years. Mm. Um, Iraq was what it was, and that was... On its glide path. And uh, so that's when I really started weighing, okay, maybe maybe it is time to move on.
0: Was that that summer or was that that spring? Was that late? Like, when do you start thinking about that stuff? Oh, fall. Fall time.
1: Because I had, yeah, it was, I think, January when I went on terminal leave. I remember. I remember. But before that, we have August of uh, of 2011. Yeah, we had, yeah. Yeah. A lot happened. Yeah. So at that
0: point, so in August of that year, uh, extortion one seven happens. But are you already in that stage of like thinking about moving on? You're not yet. No, not yet. So it's after the the, the fall.
1: No, and I don't know that that, that wasn't a decision, that extortion wasn't something that weighed on my decision to get out or stay Mm -hmm. in. For me, it was just the writing on the wall that Afghanistan was not turning around, changing trajectories. And here, I just lost a shit ton of friends in that one incident. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was a tough one. And those are a lot of the names. 22 funerals in a week. Yeah. And, you know, one, one guy in that troop survived because his wife was pregnant and they sent him home just before the op.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I mean, I can shut my eyes and I can, I can hear him crying at every funeral sitting in the front row. His whole troop is gone yeah deep
0: and those names are still in the phone
1: Mm mm-hmm yep and now we're gone
0: (laughs) and so you move into the fall get through those funerals and uh, move into the fall think about that billet that you're being being offered, thinking yep. about team time coming to an end, thinking
1: about what the next 10 years looks like yep. in the SEAL teams. The, the team's time, all the stuff, the operational stuff that I loved and, and volunteered for and wanted to stay doing, well, that was rapidly closing. And and, uh, and when I looked up at a lot of the guys that I looked up to, right, they were on their second or third divorce and, and you know their retirement was gone and they were had a lot of great stories to tell at the bar. And as much as I respect these individuals for doing what they did, I, I did also, I didn't wanna end up mm-hmm. with three divorces and no retirement and sitting at the bar and that's all I had left. Yeah. And so it was like, hey, how do I, uh, I evolved my whole career. Evolution is something that's deeply ingrained in the SEAL community. It's deeply ingrained in me personally. How do I figure out a way to evolve uh, without being a SEAL? It's the only thing I've ever wanted to do. It's the only thing I can imagine myself doing. I have no idea what I'm gonna do next, but with everything else I've done in my career, I'm gonna be comfortable being uncomfortable and take that step because that that was the unknown and more of an opportunity than doing more of what I'd always done and that I had no interest in continuing to do. So when do you tell them that you're gonna move on?
0: Do you talk to them about it? Do you talk to your master chief or whoever else or do you, or do you just say, hey, I'm done. Yep.
1: No. Sat down with my troop chief, my squadron master chief, my squadron commander, troop like all the leadership, and and broke it down, explained my decision the best way I could. Um, SEALs aren't known for quitting, right? Hardest thing to do is quit. Hardest thing I ever did in my career was, and I consider it quitting, right? Uh, I might have done all these things to. I think you're good. I think you got. I, I know, but <laughs> I think you did your part. I know, but you, you know me. You know how we think, and it's hard to leave and step away from that. And and leaving while there is still a war going on and still guys going down range, and you're choosing to step up and say, "No, I'm not going. I'm going to get out." Mm. That's a that's a hard decision to to make to your brothers that are still deploying. You know, maybe they'll never get out. Maybe they'll stay for thirty years. Maybe that's not in the cards for me. But difficult decision, hardest decision I made in my career was to get out.
0: That's interesting. So I haven't thought about it from this perspective before. But uh, uh, as an officer, like after that last Iraq deployment, I knew there was no more operating. Like. That was it. As an 04 troop commander, guess what? Your time's done. Right. You're gonna cycle through some staff jobs. You're gonna come back as a EXO as a a commanding officer, which sounds really impressive, but in reality, we know you're sitting at a tactical operations center allocating assets, right. uh, and you're not kicking the doors with the guys. Like, that, that time is 100% done. There's yep. not a hope of getting back to it. You're done. Yep. Uh, so for me, it was very easy to make. Right, Easy, yeah. I don't like using the word easy, it's not the right word. You couldn't but affect it if you wanted to. It was time. Time to move on after that one. Uh, I hadn't thought about it up to that point, but after that deployment and uh, extortion happens on that deployment, I'm in Iraq and right. I get that knock on the door and it's, it's the day because we're in vampire hours, of course. And it was like, I think it was like, I don't know, 9 or 10 or 11 or something in the morning. And that was the middle of like sleep time. And I was like, well, oh, if they're, they're waking me up, something bad has happened. You know, of course, I'm thinking it's something in Iraq. Right. And I'm thinking it's a, an IED or it's a, something. And, uh, and I open it and they tell me, what happened and you know get to the get to the talk so i you know zip over to the talk and find out what's going on and then uh get back and everything was blacked out in iraq you know they turn off those the, the internet they, they turned it off in iraq too um and when it came back on then you know i email you and and, and all that and craziness but after that one so we shut that thing down and i got home as soon as we land i like took that breath and was like time to move on yeah. So, so for me, it didn't feel like I was, uh, I was quitting because it was decided. Natural, it was the natural
1: progression. Yeah, and, it and was I decided, say, you know. Maybe that's the same on the enlisted side. I just wasn't smart enough to see it, maybe, or I, did, I didn't see it in that perspective at the time, yeah. right? Because you're just in it. You're in the mix. That's all you want to do. Like, I was very much enjoying my, my position of being the, the team leader, like yeah. doing the fun stuff. And uh, of course that has to come to an end, right? I'd started out as Alpha 6 and now I'm Alpha 1, That's right? Awesome. So you gotta rotate out from there. So that, I should have known it was coming. It's just hard to, right? It's 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 why, you know, I had his hard exit because none of us want to leave, right? And if you don't leave on your terms, it even messes you up harder in the, in the brain, right? And so, awesome. especially if you leave from the battlefield. Yeah back through Germany and your medical stuff and your friends aren't with you and, yeah, it gets in the head. So
0: that's the fall you sit down with those guys or the early winter,
1: November, December uh, December or December on a jump trip in Tucson. No kidding. Yep, told them, yep. I do remember that. You did tell me that. And then, uh... Yeah, because they, they sent January. me home the next day. They flew me home the next day.
0: So they fly you back, you go to Virginia Beach and then start out processing? So you know how
1: much they give a fuck. Mm. Yeah, then, uh... To start out processing. Start the out month. processing thing. Yarded out uh, in December. Got a plaque with my name misspelled. It's an easy one to misspell. Right, uh, I know. Yeah. So you get your plaque.
0: Get a plaque. Name misspelled, and then you're
1: and off. then I'm out. Right. There's no. Uh, you have to do 20 years. to Get a retirement pension. I knew that. Don't don't feel bad that I left at 14. I knew exactly what I was getting. Um, again, none of us do this for the money. <laughs> Very few of us do it for the retirement. Um, You do it for many other reasons. And uh, yeah, when I was done, I was done. I did not want to continue to risk my life, right? Ultimately, it came down to me willing to sign my name on another contract with the government where I said, yes, I'm willing for a whole bunch of idiots at the top to continue to put my life in danger for their stupid reasoning. <laughs> all it it basically came down to that. I'm like, I I can't realistically sign this paper for another five years, six years, whatever I was gonna re-enlist for, um, to put my life in those spots again, continue to for the the leadership and decision making I continue to yeah, continue to see. Amazing. Amazing. So well, boom, I was you out. knew and you're gone. Yep, that was it. Like it's all I ever knew. Came out of college, teams, absolutely institutionalized, had the same group of friends, traveled the world with them, didn't have any friends outside of that. That's all I knew, that's all I did. Now it's time for a new chapter. Now you're driving off the base, turning your ID card, and off you go. Yeah. Man.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Six Hour. That was part three of a special four part series titled The Head of the Snake Killing. Osama bin Laden, with my dear friend, Mark Owen. If you haven't picked up No Easy Day or No Hero, be sure and do that. And be sure to watch part four, where we discuss the aftermath.